Thank you. If you have your Bible, First Timothy is where we are, chapter 3. As you've gathered here this morning, my prayer for you is that you would uh, have your Bible open, that your heart would be open to the Word of God, and that you would have a desire to surrender to the truth of the Word of God. As you read and as you open your Bible, there's always going to be a tendency to say, oh, well, that's for this person, that's for that person, I really don't need this, I don't need that. My prayer is as you read through Scripture, as you open your life up to the truth of the Word of God, that you would say, Jesus, I want you to to work in my life. I want to have an open heart with an open Bible, but willing to surrender to the truth when the truth is shown to you. When the Holy Spirit says, hey, here's truth for you, that you would say, I want to surrender to the truth of the Word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're in this section where you're talking about deacons and characteristics. And uh, their instruction is you really, what's really neat is you end off as we're going to finish 1 Timothy chapter 3 today. Uh, Paul's writing to Timothy and he's giving him some instructions for the church. What's very interesting is I know something true about you. Most of us, let's say most of us men for instance, do not like instructions. We will buy something that will have instructions and then we'll get it half together, or we two pieces left over. Then our wife will say to us in that nice, wonderful voice, Did you read the instructions? No, dear, I did not read the instructions. There's just something about being a sinner. Uh, thank you to Adam and Eve that none of us really like at times the instructions or the things that we're supposed to follow. And so this morning, as you look at some instruction, I would encourage you to follow it. Stop and say, you know, Lord, this is some words for me. Paul gave to Timothy for instructions for the local church. And now that local church was going to have to make a choice. Are they going to follow instructions? Are they going to say, well, that's not really for our time. That doesn't fit our society. That doesn't fit our needs. That doesn't fit our wants. That doesn't make us happy. Are they going to step back and say, hey, these are the instructions based on the authority of the word of God. And I'm going to be willing to surrender to those instructions. I'm going to step back and say, hey, this is truth. If you have your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 3 is where we are. If you look in uh, verse 10, is where we're going to pick it up today. Uh, Last week we shared about worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain, and that a deacon should hold to the deep truths of Scripture, of the faith, by faith. They must be first tested. And then, if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate, trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be a husband of one wife, must manage his own household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing with great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you, I'm writing these things or instructions so that you... If I am delayed, you may know how to conduct yourselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question that the mystery of godly obedience is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. The first thing I want you to just, as you look at this passage of Scripture, a deacon must be tested. I think it's very important as you look at that word. Uh, Some of you are probably good test takers. You could sit down and somebody could put a piece of paper in front of you and you could pass the exam. 
Some of you are probably good test takers and you really didn't even have to study. That, that makes me sick. I don't know how you all do that. I can study and study and study and study and you put the piece of paper in front of me and it's like it's all gone. I think it was in there at one time, but because of the piece of paper was in front of me, it's now disappeared in my mind. Paul's not saying, hey, we, want, we have an exam. There's not a test that you have to pass. But Paul's saying to the Timothy, take a look at these people that you're going to choose to serve and make sure that their lives show that they belong to Jesus. Make sure that these people are really Jesus followers. Paul's not saying to Timothy, hey, find people that got perfection as lifestyles. No. Paul's saying, hey, as you pick a deacon, make sure that that deacon is a Christ follower. That person is really saying, you know what? I'm going to follow Jesus as he leads me. I'm going to surrender to the authority of the word of God. Something is very interesting, and most of you probably don't know this, but Bible Fellowship Church as the elders, as the elders get the names for deacons, and it's the same way for the elder, but as a, as a, since we're talking about the deacon structure this morning, there's a thing that as you become a member of Bible Fellowship Church, you'll find out there uh, probably around August, September, October, that time frame, it's kind of a broad time frame, I realize, but... October, there'll be some information out there for you to vote on deacons and elders. What's very interesting to me, and I learned this 10 years ago, this is not a popularity contest at Bible Fellowship Church. So you'll see names, there'll be 25 names for 25 people to nominate so-and-so to be a deacon. Somebody might get one nomination. The elders don't automatically go and say, hey, this one has the majority vote. We're going we're gonna to we're gonna approach this person to be a deacon at Bible Fellowship Church. That's not how it works. They sit around in a meeting and discuss names. Talking about that individual, not gossiping. Just sitting down and saying, hey, is this really a person, is this, is this really a Jesus follower? Is there anything in this person's life that we're aware of, say, you know what, they're really not interested in Jesus, they're really not following? Well, something is very interesting. There's some examples of that in Scripture. Who went through times of testing in Scripture? Well, Joseph did. 13 years in prison. For doing what was right. Moses, how many years was he out taking care of sheep before go to the burning bush? Was it 40? So you got times, or you see in scripture, where people's lives were tested before they were involved in leadership. Before they said, hey, we're going to get involved in this person. And God called them out and said, hey, now I want you to lead. It's interesting as you think about our lives this morning. If you think about the characteristic of a deacon, their life will be tested by the leadership of Bible Fellowship Church to make sure that that person is a Christ follower, to make sure that person is saying, you know what, I am surrendered to Jesus Christ. The next thing on this uh, list, as you see, is the same way in verse 11, it says, in the same way, their wives are women of worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate, trustworthy in everything. And I realize uh, that this passage of scripture, I don't have a problem if a church has a group of deaconesses that they're serving and taking care of women's ministry needs. I don't have a problem with that as a, as a pastor here at Bible Fellowship Church. But it's something I find interesting, and I'm not sure why Paul didn't talk a lot about this when he talked about the elder qualifications. I mean, it's really interesting. If you see a person in leadership, there's always somebody behind them supporting. It's never a one-person show. Never. Where we are today is because of the people that are around us. Some of us have a gift, and it's called marriage. Sometimes marriage is a lot of fun. Sometimes marriage is a lot of work. 
Sometimes a marriage is a lot of tears. You know, it's really interesting, and I'll just speak for me. You can look at your own self and talk about yourself. Who I am today as a person directly affects her input into my life. The things that she said to me over the years, now, has she changed me? No. Would she like to change me? Absolutely. Who's changed me? Jesus. And he's put a person with me, as I think about a person is with me, I think about my wife, a woman worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Just a word of caution. If you're a deacon, men, encourage your wives. If you're a wife and your husband is a deacon, take this passage to heart. Don't be a malicious talker. Be temperate. Be someone that is self-controlled. Be someone that is trustworthy in everything. You know who that will bless? Your spouse. And that will also bless our Bible Fellowship Church family. The next thing that you read, and we've talked about this, is a deacon must be a husband of one wife, must manage his own children and his own household well. I've talked a lot about that. I don't want to go over and over that again, but I just, as a man, as a leader in our, in our church family, as a husband, I want to challenge every man in this, in this building that has a gift called a wife, that you are to be a self-sacrificing servant to your wife with the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. Please do that for her. If you don't, we might come find you. Also, as a, as a man in our family, I want to challenge us men that we need to be working to lead our family to Jesus. Please do not dictate them to Jesus. They will not follow you. Lead them to Jesus. Show them a different lifestyle. Show them that Jesus really does matter. Show them that you are willing to surrender to the truth. It's fun sometimes as I talk with different people and I talk with, you know, with Seth and Rachel, they really want to know if I'm going to follow my Bible or not. That's really what they want to know. They don't want to know my opinion. They just want me to say, hey, dad, this is what I believe. They want me to say, hey, this is what I believe. And by the way, because I believe this, I'm going to live my life differently. I want my children to know and to believe that the word of God is the final authority in their lives. There's no better place or person for them to see than to see that in my life first. If I don't surrender to this book, guess what? My son won't either. He might go to church, which I think is good, but I want my son to be surrendered to the authority of the Word of God more than anything else. Same thing for my daughter. You've heard me say that as well. Something that you find in this passage of Scripture that I thought was really, really interesting is a little bit farther on in verse 13, you read these words. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Three words that have jumped out to me as I read those, the, that, that little section of Scripture. Serve well. Now, if I serve well, where does that come from? Just so you know, we did not talk about this beforehand. It comes from worship. It comes from you and I as an individual by faith saying, you know what, this is what God has for my life. By faith. This is what God expects from me. And if God expects that from me by faith, I believe it. When do I have assurance of my faith? 
when it's not information that is just right here in this little quadrant of my life. I have assurance of my faith when I recognize the truth of the word of God and then I see it acted out in my actions of my life. That provides assurance for me. That provides that it's just not head knowledge. It's information that actually affects the way I live my life this afternoon, tomorrow morning. And so this morning as you look and as you think about the opportunities, if you are a deacon, have opportunities. What's really neat is all of us have opportunities to serve in a family. Sometimes we like those opportunities, sometimes we don't. How many of you men in here like to take out the garbage? That's interesting, not one of us. But it's an opportunity to serve, isn't it? How many of us men are really, really excited about running a vacuum cleaner? We got two. All right, Lord, you know who they are, so uh, nobody else look around because I don't know if that's really true or not. We'll have to ask. I'm going to ask your wife. When was the last time you ran? Yeah, you better keep on walking, so we're going to find out. When was the last time you actually ran the vacuum cleaner? You might have a... But it's opportunity. You, you understand what I'm saying is I think what's interesting is we're living in a society that it's always about me. Hey, take care of me first. I want to be happy. I want to be satisfied. I want to be provided for. And as you look through Scripture, do you never see the word me when it comes to Jesus' life? It always says, hey, Dad, I want to be about your business. Father, I want to surrender to you. In the garden, tears of blood, sweating drops of blood. Why? Because he's saying, God, I'm wrestling with you now. And for that person's sake, for you sitting in this building today, he was willing to die on the cross so that you would have life. Part of that life, he's wanted to encourage you to be a servant. Does it come natural? No. Can you do it? Yes. How? The help of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, please plug in the vacuum cleaner for me today. Make sure that it works today. Move my hands back and forth today. Lord, I want to be a servant. I want to serve you. This morning as you've gathered in our family... God's going to ask you to wrestle with your faith. It's easy for us to say, yes, we have faith in Jesus, but it's difficult to follow his plan. I'm sure it was these believers, as these leaders, as these deacons read this verse and said, you know, Lord, it's an excellent standing, great assurance of what? Their faith in Christ Jesus. How could they have great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus? Is take the word of God by true and live their lives different. Say, yeah, I will be the servant. I'll be the one that takes this. I'll do that. I'll be the one that sets up the chairs. I'll be the one that turns the air conditioning on. I'll be the one that unlocks the doors. And it can go on and on and on. I want to encourage you this morning. You want to find faith and assurance in your, in your Christian life? Serve. Find a way to get involved. Be like Warren Daniels. Go to Africa and help build. Join the Mexico team. Be involved in ministry. Find something in our community, and I forgot my bulletin, but on the left-hand side at the bottom of your bulletin are opportunities for you to serve in our community. Is it neat to go to Mexico? Yeah, it's cool. But there's people every single day around us, we have opportunities to be involved in service. Inside your home, outside of your home. Outside of your home, people are going to scratch their heads and say, you know what, why are they helping me? 
Why are you helping somebody outside of your home? Because you love Jesus. He's asking to go out and be involved in the community, be a witness. Paul's writings here are instructions. He wrote because he was concerned about being delayed to get to this church. But so he wrote a letter and said, hey, I know I might be late. I'm headed that direction. I really want to be involved with you. But while, before I even get there, I'm going to give you some instruction. I'm going to give you a way to conduct yourself in God's house. It's interesting in this passage of Scripture, he just calls it God's house. He calls it the church of the living God, the foundation of truth. Now that's interesting to me. You come back next week, we'll talk about foundation of truth. Something that's very pressing on my heart, something I'm really excited about sharing with you next week, the foundation of truth. And Paul, as he shares this foundation, think, think about this, you are the church of the living God. You are, we are, a building, the living God, a people of a living God. We have the opportunity to show the world what it looks like, what makes it different, what makes you different, where you find hope, where you find security. He wraps this section up in verse 16, and, and you read there in, at the end, it says, appeared in body, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nation, was believed in the world, was taken up in glory. As I was looking at that passage of Scripture, I want you to go with me to, to two passages. Go to John chapter 1. Verse 14. The mystery. It's a great mystery. Here it is. The word became flesh and was made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and and truth. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Pick it up in verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God and the world, through his wis- its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through their foolishness, of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded miraculous signs. Greeks looked for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who who God has called, both Jew and Gentile, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose 
the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and despised things and the things that were not to, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with you with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed through the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear, and with much trembling, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. That's the mystery. That's the foundation of the church. And so as you wrap up this, the end of chapter 3, and you say, wow, what a mystery. What an opportunity. I am, um, as I look at these verses, I've just been wrestling in my soul. You know, we've, we pick up four or five verses and we just kind of pull it out. So again, we're going to talk about deacons and their leadership and husband of one wife. And, da, 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 and we get all this kind of stuff. But what's really interesting to me and really fascinating to me as I sat down this week and as I, as I think about the instruction for a church, and here's Paul sharing with Timothy, here's some instruction. Will the church follow? And, and the church is going to have to make choices in that. But I, what fascinates me is, is if you put it all together, if you take chapter 2 and chapter 3 and you just put it all together and say, here's the responsibility of, for us as a church. So here, this is how I look at it. Paul shared with Timothy that he wanted these believers to pray for all. He wanted these believers to pray for even those kings that persecuted them. Paul's asking this church, hey, I'm going to ask you to pray for the king that's going to murder some of your people. I'm going to ask you to pray. And he's not going to ask them to pray that the king feels good or that the king's a nice guy or that the king treats them nice. No, no. He's going to ask these group of believers in the middle of the cardness of the opportunity of their heart, in the middle of their anger, their, their opportunity to say, I'm going to respond to this person. You know what he's going to ask them to pray? That they choose Jesus as the mediator. That that king steps back and says, you know what? I'm making a choice and I'm choosing Jesus. In the middle of all that, in the middle of the rage of their heart where their friends are dying because they're Christians, Paul's going to ask this group of believers to live quiet lives with godliness and holiness because those lives, that lifestyle is pleasing to our Savior. Paul's going to ask this group of believers, he's going to ask these men to be men with holy hands. Very specific when he spoke to those men. Without anger, And without disputing, he's going to ask the women of this church to dress modestly. He's going to ask the women not to hold leadership positions over to men, 
He's going to remind women that one of the neatest opportunities to change generations are your children. That you're investing in. He's going to give a list of characteristics of things that he was going to challenge in elders and deacons' lives. He's going to say, here's the standard. Here's an opportunity for spiritual growth. But when you grow and when you look at this opportunity... Don't come up with what man thinks. I'll give you the list. Knowing there'll be not one person sitting in the audience as you read this list. There's not one person sitting in this here saying, you know what, I got, I got it all. I figured this thing out. Man, I'm just the best Christian ever. I'll just write myself a book and tell you how to do it. And you can buy the book and then I'll be a wealthy Christian telling you how to do it. But he's giving you some instructions Those instructions are for your good. Those instructions are for you to welcome. Say, hey, here's some instruction for me. Is the instruction comfortable? No. Is it easy? No. Do we like it? As I look through that list, I don't like it. But I want to welcome that instruction. Say, God, develop that in my life. That's what spiritual maturity is. For me to step back and say, you know what, God? Be honest. I'm an absolute mess. I do not have it all together. I struggle with sin every single day of my life, just the way you do. But I'm a person, when I wake up in the morning, I'm saying, you know, Jesus, (laughs) you know how bad this, you know how much of a mess I am. But I want to come to you, Jesus. And I guess there's a word that keeps floating around. And nobody's come to me purposefully, but I keep hearing this word over and over again. And the word is repentance. And most of us just think about the word repentance when when we're talking about the, the time I said yes to Jesus. Oh yeah, Jesus, I'm asking for forgiveness to my sin. Hey, I'm repenting. I need you. Maybe repentance needs to be saying, you know, Lord, I don't measure up here. And there's two chapters of things for us. Things specifically for a man in a church. Things specifically for a woman in church. Specific characteristics that he wants to develop in our lives. You know what we have a tendency to do? Oh, no, no, hold on a second. I, I, I kind of enjoy living this way. It's, it's really taking care of me, but you're missing out. You're missing out on the blessing, not monetarily. You're missing out on the joy in life when you live this way. The instructions are not there to control you, manipulate you. Those instructions are there for your good. But you have to make a choice to welcome that instruction in your life. Maybe this morning, it's time for you to say, you know what, I welcome it. And you need to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to repent for you today. Say, God, I need forgiveness. I'm repenting because I'm not welcoming this list in my life. Because this list messes up my lifestyle. This list is not popular. And maybe you've been sitting in a building for a long time. You might have had your Bible open, but your heart's hardened. 
Because you're not willing to say, yep, I surrender. I, I got it. I figured it out. And surrender, repentance, whatever word you want to say, it's you saying, God, I agree, and I want the Holy Spirit to make life change in me. I agree with you. You might be a man sitting in this building saying, you know what, it's time for you to agree with God that you got an anger issue. Say, God, that's me. I got an anger issue. And when he shows it to you, don't be afraid. Don't give excuses. Just welcome it. Say, God, deal with me. Work in my life. Start here. I'm not here to go across every little area of your life. I'm just saying to you this. Listen to the still, small voice. And it's okay to repent. Your life will never be the same. Not just the day you said yes to Jesus. Yeah, I'm repenting. Woohoo, that's me. I need forgiveness. I am not going to hell. That's me. You know what? He still wants to hear you say, yeah, God, I agree with you. I've got a pride issue. I've got an anger issue. I've got a worry issue. I've got whatever. I'm repenting. It's me and you now. You've identified it to me. I see it in the truth of the word of God. It's important to have an open Bible. It's important to have an open heart. But I think probably one of the greatest characteristics is a surrender heart. Because there's a lot of people that know this book. And I'm not sure there's a lot of people that have surrendered to this book. When I mean surrender, I mean when he's knocking in your heart saying... Here's your issue. You give it up. You know what? He'll talk to you as long as he needs to. Sometimes it'll be that little still small voice. Sometimes it's the two by four. It's not because he's mad at you. It's because he loves you. It's not because he controls you. Because he wants what's best for your life. He wants to set you free. Personal illustration, I am looking at something on my banking last night. I was doing my online thing and I've got, you know, I got it all set up to be, do what I want to do, certain things. And and so I I looked at it, I was like, that's that's wrong. I'm on the phone, bank. Transferring to this person, then back to this person, back to this person, back to this person. It's like the Holy Spirit said, why are you worrying? It's taken care of. What's your problem? Well, I don't have to worry about this. No, you don't have to worry. I don't know what it is for you today. But as a church, here's an opportunity. Two chapters, just two chapters. First Timothy, Paul talking to you. Are you listening? Are you welcoming? Please, don't say that's a great verse for my wife, for my neighbor, for my great-great-grandmother, for whoever. You welcome the verse. You open and say, wow, that's a cool verse for me. 
to pray. Father, as you look down on our family, I don't know what you see. But we welcome you here. So Father, if there's somebody sitting in this building that have never said, hey, I've got a sin problem and I need a Savior and I'm putting my faith in you, Jesus, make that person choose you today. Draw them to you today. Father, as you look into our family, and you know the ones that have been playing games for years, you know the ones that really need to repent, you know the ones that have believed the lies of the world, and they've never said, you know what, God, I believe the lie of the world. They've never really agreed what you call sin. They call sin. So Father, if there's people in our family today that need to say, yep, God, I'm agreeing with you. To whatever the still small voice is saying to you, whatever the word, the phrase, whatever it is, please don't run. Don't get mad. Don't blame shift. Don't think about your friends, your neighbors, or your person at work, just you. The still small voice is speaking to you. Whatever he's saying to you, whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you, please listen, please. Welcome him. And I'm begging you, repent. I'm begging you to follow the still small voice. Your life will never be the same. Your joy will never be as deep as it is when you follow him. Oh, it's going to hurt at times. But wow. To know his love. To experience truth. Listen to the still small voice. It's a mystery, I know. By faith, I got it. I understand. But I'm praying you get it. I'm praying you understand. I'm praying you welcome. Father, please, through the power of your Holy Spirit, move in our family. By faith that we have a passion to follow you no matter what it costs. Thank you for allowing us to come worship. May our worship be the same this afternoon as it is this morning. Use us in our community. Thank you for allowing us reconciliation. Thank you for speaking truth to us. Thank you for the still small voice. We welcome that still small voice. Welcome it. Know that when it speaks, your life will never be the same. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here as a family today. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray.